0: Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Sergei Svalani. I'm director at Berlin-based European Resilience Initiative Center. I'm happy to be here at Visegrad's podcast and I recommend you to listen to the interesting opinion.
0: This is the uh, 29th of January 2023, uh, we are in Prague with Martin L., um, Senior Analyst at Hospodarske Nowiny and the Chief Analyst uh, uh, for International Affairs at Hospodarskie Nowiny and Senior Fellow at Visegrad Inside, and my name is Wojciech Przybylski and we are sitting here in Prague um, Kind of still astonished, I think, by by the whole campaign and the final result of the second round of presidential elections, in which General Pavel won almost one million votes more than uh, uh, his contender, former Prime Minister Andrei Babish. What is the significance of these elections and this particular result?
2: Um, hello, Wojciech. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, I think that the, the significance is that, uh, at least for the Czech society, that it's a, uh, let's say, a return of uh, the spirit of decency and truth into the politics. Uh, after we can speak about uh, at least one decade, maybe maybe more, of uh, growing populism, and not in just in terms of uh, who is uh, uh, president of the Czech Republic, uh, in case of Milos Zeman or his predecessor Václav Klaus, but basically in in whole politics that you can see somebody with uh, some credentials, but also with a let's say partially problematic history like General Pavel and his uh, communist past, who somehow himself dealt with. Not only his personal history, but also with the uh, with the history of whole nation, and who offered the path uh, towards, uh, I would say, future. Maybe it sounds uh, like too uh, <clears throat> uh, too uh, too much, but he who offered a, a way that uh, or, or way how to fight with um, political populism and, and, and lies, uh, and he stand firmly with his uh, with his. Uh, Uh, postures, with his opinions, who was uh, simply telling people even things which were not so popular, Mm. but uh, which were more or less uh, like truth in a a sense that he didn't paint it himself into different colors than he is himself, Mm -hmm. first, and and second that he uh, really, uh, especially his his speech after uh, uh, in in the afternoon after the results came out, that he in his first sentences, he was not speaking to his supporters, but the supporters of his contender, of Andrei Babish, telling them that he is there for, for everybody and he understands that the, not everybody is happy. And that uh, his uh, basic sentence was uh, that, uh, that there are no uh, winners or losers among uh, voters, that the winner or loser is the candidate, but voters are all uh, citizens of Czech Republic and they are one community which is supposed to uh, strive into the future. So this is kind of a different and powerful message we haven't seen from the not only from the president but from the Czech politicians for a long time. Uh, even uh, we had a winning coalition in the last parliamentary elections, but so clearly said that uh, there are divisions, there are problems, but also there is hope that if we can, if we work together, we can, we can, we can solve uh, or we can try to find solutions for that.
0: Which is a striking resemblance to how Chaputova uh, was shaping also her messages during a. Poll- campaign when she was becoming Slovak president. And also, uh, I'm referring to her because she appeared on stage next to General Pavel. Do you think this is a a more of a strategy that is now developing uh, as a way to counter populism in politics through different type of campaigning, different style by by politicians that, that has proven to be effective?
2: Uh, I think that the, the, concerning the Chaputova case, there are a couple of things that uh, in general Pavel's stuff, uh, there were people who are doing the campaign for Chaputova, so there was also this personal connection. So the direct uh, transfer uh, so, so of di- experience. Direct transfer of experience of uh, not only campaign, but also some political ideas. But also uh, you can now see that, um, that the... the Future Czech president because he will take the office on on the March 9th uh, and and the current Slovak president can form kind of a. Central European, you know, messaging pair, or how to how to call it, that if you do politic politics differently, in in a way that if you do it honestly, if you uh, not do not promise, you know, uh, stupidities or or, or arsecentries, but if you if you offer some kind of decent uh, personal story plus. Plus um, a lot of work and kind of message of unification that it can work. Of course, this is the, but this is the different type of elections. This is a personal elections. Presidents in both countries do not have uh, uh, big powers uh, in comparison. For example, in Poland, uh, so I would not overestimate or overstretch uh, the impact. Mm-hmm. But but uh, in terms of uh, if presidents, uh, if Czech president should. Uh, be the kind of symbol and l- let's say moral or I- uh, leader of ideas. Then uh, we got a completely different personality than we had uh, in the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. Not only 10 years of Zeman but also uh, previous 10 years of, of Václav Klaus. So, uh, to great extent, we are getting back to the Václav Havel uh, era. I, I don't want to compare General to Václav Havel, but he, even, even he himself um, refuses to uh, to to come. It, but uh, the only thing he said that is, is connecting because he was asked on, on that uh, after the victory, he said that if something is um, uh, comparable that, that, or, or, or inspi- inspiring him then it is uh, this kind of uh, leadership into the society to, to offer them a, a perspective that uh, if you speak truth then you can win Last question, if you were to name one
0: important thing that's can go wrong, but also one important thing that can, that this presidency can change for a longer objective. And I think you re- referred to all the promises already, naturally. What would they be? So if you can summarize the big promise of this presidency, the hope it it, it can bring throughout the next uh, upcoming term, but also if you can reflect on one thing to watch for of of what what it can how can it go wrong
2: I th- I think that the the main thing is this um, division inside the Czech society I think it's very similar to another countries in the region but the Czech society and you can clearly see it on the map. <clears throat> there are regions which are called in Western translation maybe lost regions, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in the borderlands uh, or, or in in, in Silesia, mm-hmm. where people really do not have good prospects. It's it's a structural problem. It has many it it, it, it has many reasons, and many politicians are exploiting them. Even Andrey Babish wanted to exploit this. Mm-hmm. And he won in these regions.
0: Yeah, we've seen the map.
2: Uh, we've seen the map. and uh, But I think in both terms, good and bad, or positive, negative, you know, outcome will be if General Pavel will be able not to solve all the problems, but to... And referring to Chaputova again, you know, uh, send a message to politicians uh, from the executive branch of power that this is a thing they should solve uh, or they should they should concentrate on, they should do something on that. And I think that he already announced that his first uh, regional trip in, inside the Czech Republic in the office will be into Karlovarský kraj, which is one of these uh, lost regions. So I think that if he will be... Bringing attention to this problem that will be not enough, but it will be kind of, you know, positive signal that some of the top politician is not just talking, you know, in Prague about, you know, how, what to do, but it, it, he can do. And he already has the experience. Uh, because he, uh, during the pandemic, he set up the foundation already with kind of presidential uh, presidency in mind, uh, together, Stronger Together was the name of the foundation, which was helping uh, all around the Czech country, but also in these regions. So there is something on which uh, he personally, and he as a uh, now institution can can work and can can build on. So I think that this will be kind of crucial uh, thing uh, if he will uh, push the czech government and um, institutions to to solve the issues of the, of the debts of the bad education uh in, in especially in these regions to to and to to move uh, i know that it cannot be solved in a couple of years it's a kind of long-term structural thing but if he will uh pressure the the, the ministers the the local governments uh, in, into something which will be, uh, and and I think that um, his victory in this sense is kind of a good inspiration or positive mm. inspiration.
0: That's that's super interesting to watch. Uh, um, reminding everyone, General Pavel this weekend won in the second round of presidential elections by over fifty eight percent of the votes and won nearly one million votes more than Andrei Babish, and yet Andrei Babish also increased his number of voters who, who were previously voting for him or his party. So uh, a big, uh, you would say, I guess a uh, big celebration of democracy in Czech Republic this weekend, though I don't see fanfares and fireworks, but definitely a big moment for Czech democracy. L, thank you very much. Uh, here, we're, we're sitting here comfortably in, in Prague, in your office, um, and uh, back over to to, to for the interview thank you sergey i've been wanting to talk with you for uh, some
3: time thank you so much for joining us for our audience this is sergey sumlene he's a political scientist and he's a former director of the foundation for uh Heinrich in, in kiev sergey you follow the developments happening with delivery of arms or let's say lack thereof to ukraine very closely but with kind of a particular eye right because uh, given the fact that you're both ukrainian and you also happen to work in germany um, but apart from these kind of specific developments happening now, you've also said, I've followed you really closely, and you've said a, a, a great deal about German Eastern policy, uh strategic corruption, its its relationship to Russia. So, so let's kind of start with the the basics. Here we see that after a back and forth over the past year, uh the German government has finally agreed to to send two tank battalions with these leopard two tanks for Ukraine. I'm just wondering what's What's the shift here, and more importantly, what's what's been the holdup? I know that you've talked a lot about the sort of founding sins of German Eastern and and its security policy. So, does this play any part here?
1: Well, uh, yes. First of all, thank you for having invited me uh, today. Like it's a great pleasure to to be with you on your podcast. Uh, I think we, uh, yeah, like we just see that fresh uh, award. Like it's so simple. Like pressure war because like the war is already it it lasts more than more than eleven months of this full scale invasion and all the time people in Germany and around Germany were continuously saying the the very simple fact: send the weapons. The weapons save lives. You cannot oppose Vladimir Putin with diplomacy or only with diplomacy. First of all, Vladimir Putin and Russia must be severely beaten on the battlefield and you cannot do it without weapons if you send weapons it does mean escalation because the escalation has already happened when Vladimir Putin has started his full-scale invasion and has ordered to genocide Ukrainian nation and uh, eliminated Mariupol and bombarded Kharkiv and wanted to take kiev and raped people in bucha and Vorodanka and shelled with his missiles leave vinitza odessa and other cities this is escalation and we can stop this escalation by pushing the russians back and you cannot do it without the weapons so stop talking about like about the possible escalation and provocation and negotiations and the uh, security in Europe with Russia and not without Russia and send the tanks because the world has not ended when we sent the anti tank missiles. The world has not ended when we sent the Panzerhaube 2000, uh, the artillery systems. The world has not ended when we sent the MAS 2 uh, multiply launch uh, rocket artillery system. And the world will not end when we will send the Leopard. So, start to listen, start listening to the nations who know the Russians, like the Ukrainians, the Poles, the Baltic nations, start to be like an ally, a true ally, and cooperate with your neighbors and with the U.S. and help the Ukrainians to win this war. In this like uh, panzer debate, this like tank debate, we had actually like three groups of uh, actors who pressured uh, the German government and in particular the Social Democrats within this government and the Chancellor Scholz and these groups were uh, the Poles uh, the Polish government which actually after all like outmaneuvered and outflanked uh, Scholz saying we will deliver the Leopards with your permission or without it and I think it was a very good threat, like good in the sense of uh, practical like as a German citizen I don't like my government to be pressured that way, but I think that it was a lesser evil, uh, better my government be pressured like that, then my government makes another mistake and jeopardizes uh, the German image for the next decade. Right. It's too so, important at this point. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So the Poles, like the Polish government, has said we deliver with your support or without. So better for you with your support. Uh, the U.S. Americans did the same with uh, the Abrams tanks. And we know that last week, as the U.S. defense minister visited uh, Berlin, he literally shouted on the German minister in the uh, in the chancellor's office, and that is not what is happening on the daily basis, right? And the third group were like the uh, German experts inside the country and the members of the German coalition, because we know that two coalition party out of three, the liberals and the Greens, they, they, uh, literally, they, they said very openly that Germany should not be an obstacle on the way of the change. And if the uh, deputy chancellor uh, Robert Habeck and the foreign minister Annalena Baerbock And the, uh, representative of the liberals in the, uh, in the defense commission, um, who also said the same, like when they all say openly to the media that Germany should not be an obstacle, then it is actually a very clear signal for Schultz that he stays alone with his stubborn-like blockade. And after all, he did the right decision to Schultz. Uh, Now the question is, how sustainable is this decision? And I personally think that the pressure should continue just to not let him to, uh, to stop on this movement, because the movement itself is very right. And if you look closely, the German debate last week. I think the Russians have invested a lot into PR budgets to ignite this discussion, to to put all their all their minions. Uh, like in full readiness and let them write actually the same message because if you if you read this message it, from very different politicians or or like activists who opposed the tanks delivery it's all the same you cannot you can like you can close the part with the with the name and you can't realize anymore if this guy or girl from the far right party or from the far left party or from some sort of university, or uh, or from where? Because they all wrote the same: that the tanks will not help; that it will be provocation for Putin; that the tanks will kill people. Of course, they will kill people. They will kill the soldiers of the invading army. It is what uh, defensive weapons do. And, uh, so so
3: in, in this in this sense it's kind of like they they have a a better understanding of strategic communication here right um because this is this is something that you even see in the u.s that you see when there is the same sort of lines put out there when there is a political debate about anything everybody goes around to the talk shows on Sundays and you you hear the same. Sort of um, buzzwords, keywords, in this sense, but I'm kind of curious. Like, can you break that down a little bit more? Who? Any idea where this is actually coming from? Like, I, I understand it's Russia, but do you have any idea who those links are? There?
1: Well, I think that it is a very uh, like fruitful cooperation of uh, already existing narratives in Germany and the Russian interest to uh, to feed these narratives. Because of course, like you cannot create out of nothing. You cannot create a broad social political movement, but you can support it and you can groom it and you can use it. So in this case, like we had in Germany since decades, um, some sort of uh, isolation targeted, some sort of chauvinistic movement. Because when you see how these people look. And the countries, let me say, between German Eastern Border and Russian Western Border, they first they don't see these countries as countries, and then they they, they believe that these countries like are just not good as we are, corrupt, underdeveloped, uh, aggressive, stupid, you name it. Like it's all like the racist and chauvinist narratives, and it suits very good into this uh, idea of strategic cooperation between Berlin and Moscow in shaping of a better Europe without the Americans and with a control over the Central Europe, right? It is what the Nazis did with the Soviets in the 30s. It is what like uh, many people, okay not many, but some people in Germany still wish to achieve on that way or another way, push the Americans out because they only bring their stupid things with the democracy and with human rights and with all the rights. And they also very critical to what Russia is doing. And we can raise as a Super developed technologic nation Germany and uh, combine this power with the military superpower Russia and with Russian market and with the Russian resources, we can rule Europe. Like that is this simple idea. And very attractive for, for certain yeah, people. Yeah, that's
3: that's also interesting that you say that because essentially there's this other elements that I've been hearing that China is kind of employing the, the same thing in this regard. So what I mean by this is just that China is trying to, a lot of disinformation that I've been seeing and mm-hmm. the narratives there is, is that they're actually going along with this idea of the strategic autonomy of Europe um mm-hmm. to basically essentially get the us out uh of the picture and just have you know europe kind of on its own so that china can basically influence that a bit so I, yeah. I completely see that
1: i totally agree like this idea of strategic autonomy like uh it was maybe for at some point was a good idea but but now like it's just the undermining of the NATO. and if we look at ukraine what could we have to die without two nations, which are like more or less, okay, one is outside of the EU all the time, and another is outside of the EU, I mean the US and the UK, Uh, the Ukrainians would have fought this war uh, not alone, but only with the support of Poland and Czech Republic. Uh, That is not enough, because both France and Germany were very reluctant at the beginning. If we would not have the US and the UK, the Ukrainians would have not got the javelins, the an-laws, the high mars uh, like and uh, other equipment, the harms uh, like anti-radiation missiles which hit the radars. It would be it would be tragedy. So now let me let me come back to this like to uh, this like way of thinking, this mindset, this Germany Russia strategic cooperation. So think like for many politicians and and people who share this idea i, I still i think that they are a minority in germany but uh they they're, they're not like non-existing so for them The idea of like giving Russia, and I don't say Putin or Kremlin, I I deliberately say Russia because for them, like Russia is something uh, holistic, something homogeneous, something marvelous, something exciting, what they want to have as their friend. Uh, Giving this Russia uh, a part of Central Europe, like control over some territory of Ukraine, Belarus, other countries, influence in um in in other regions or countries is very natural because first of all we don't give away uh, what is ours and in exchange for that they got a powerful ally you just you just supply uh, Russia with technology and Russia sells you cheap cheap uh, raw ro- uh, cheap uh, resources and that worked like for decades. Because if you look at the, at the structure of the German expert, it is actually, it's not an expert of a developed country. We don't sell that much services as other developed countries do. What we mostly sell is, uh, is the, the goods. And for producing of goods, you need a lot of resources. And these resources were bought from, from Russia, Also, first of all, the gas. If you look from that perspective, prosperity was based on three pillars, a cheap Russian resources, cheap security, which was paid by other countries, first of all, the US, uh, the huge market of, of, of China and Russia, where we sold our goods. From that perspective, uh, two of these pillars are either being destroyed by now or very weak if you think about the Chinese market. And the, the cheap or free security, which was provided us like for decades. Now the question is, are we ready to pay for that with the active participation or not? And these people, they want to return to that situation with the cooperation with russia and with china but without paying for security because they don't want the european uh, democratic order to be defended against russia because they believe europe would be better with some sort of fusion with uh, the authoritarian if not uh, totalitarian russian regime and the massive shift of thinking Because they, they want practically to become a blacksmith, forgery, uh, uh, an arsenal of authoritarian, of two authoritarian countries, of Russia and China. And they want to abandon our democratic values. And I repeat, our democratic values of free society, uh, open borders, cooperation with our neighbors, respect to our neighbors, European communion all the things they don't want to have it they want hierarchy they want once again hierarchy like in the time of of the prussian empire and that is what like gives them kick.
3: yeah you know this is it's interesting that you went this route because that was kind of another question that i wanted to i wanted to ask um there was this sort of A lot of times now we kind of see that Germany has this failed Russia policy and it's been it's been having this failed Russia policy for years, and i'm curious obviously to know a bit more I mean you you talked about it a bit, but the the role that the industry actually plays here so is it too much to actually say that germany's eastern policy was written by industry lobbyists in this sense and did this kind of spell the sort of demise of strategic thinking
1: well of course like there was a certain influence of the of the business groups on the politics but it is what you have in 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 every country in every democracy because like it's only like totalitarian countries when the government tells the businesses how to feel. Like uh, th- that is why, for example, I I, I totally oppose the idea of that of this like Wandel durch Handel, this German idea, like we trade with uh, unpleasant countries and through intense business exchange we make them change. We bring our values to them. It was uh, the same idea with Russia, the same idea with China. The countries which trade, they don't. don't. Don't fight the wars. Like if we have our investments in Russia and Russia has their investments in Germany or China, we will be protected by this mutual dependency from the Russian or Chinese attack. That is the most stupid idea I've ever heard. Because when your businesses are full in russia or in china they are dependent they have invested their money they have their interests. they have built their strategies of the development for the next decade having these investments in mind and if suddenly you have a conflict with this country your businesses will come to you and will start to blackmail you and say, no, 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 don't be so harsh against Russia or against China because we have our people there and we have our money there. And you will have to listen to them. They they employ your voters and they pay your taxes. But if China or Russia decides to attack us and they have their businesses which are fully under control, and their businesses have invested in, in, in Germany, and every owner of the business knows that if he does things wrong, he lands in a jail, or he disappears, like uh, the guy from from the from the uh, AliExpress, uh, or like like Khodorkovsky, he uh, disappears in Siberia, or like uh, now nah, he disappears somewhere. And they know they do what what the guy in Kremlin or in Peking tells them to do. And the guy in Kremlin or in Peking, he, he tells them, you stop all investments, you fire all the people, or you send us the client data, information, phone numbers, mobile phones, like email addresses, all the communication, everything you have on the German citizens, and we use them this data for military purpose so it is not like a win-win situation it is lose-lose situation and both lose are on our side and yeah if we had this if we had this wandel durchhandel then the bundle the change happened on our side because we have turned weaker we have turned softer and after all like like you have like you know like you have the the the, the region in Germany which is called Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, for which borders Poland like um In the in the north, it is the region on the shore of the Baltic Sea, and it was totally infiltrated by the Russian businesses. Like uh, you have you you have the the shipyards which belong to Russians. You have the uh, the factories which work with wood, uh, which belong to Russia, and now like they had installed there the uh, the the facilities of Nord Stream Two pipeline. It belonged partly to Russia that made the, the local government the voice of Russia, because they knew if you have a city of Vismar, for example, with like 60,000 inhabitants, and two biggest uh, companies which work in this city are both Russian, and the, Russians invest, the Russian investors came to that city when both of these companies went bankrupt, and the Russians bought them, they actually bailed out the city of Vismar. And now the major of the city of Vismar knows when Russians go, the city will run bankrupt. And the prime minister of the, region's now, of the region knows that Wismar is one of the biggest cities in the region. If that city goes bankrupt, the region, which is pretty weak economically, will have problems. So what this prime minister does, she opposes every idea of the federal government, which can impact the Russian interests in Germany and in Europe. So they, they practically turn themselves into vassals of the Russian politics.
3: By nature of their own citizens and their own, what's happening in their own German cities and so forth. So I I completely, I completely understand that, I guess, I guess, from my perspective, it's um, being based in Warsaw, understanding what has sort of been the history, let's say between Poland and, and Germany, but now you kind of even see the history that Ukraine, and Poland has had and sort of the shift unspeakable things that uh ukraine and and from both the ukraine and polish perspective these these aspects that seemingly made this relationship very surface level have kind of i'm not going to say gone away right everything's still there but the dialogue is is essentially happening and 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 this i think is something that certainly hasn't happened between poland and germany in this sense right and you know we're painting a really grim picture. We see that there is a sort of reshuffling happening in the region. But I'm kind of looking to ask you, what would you say would be the most ideal scenario? in in this case, the cooperation uh, between Germany and, and Central Europe, let's say specifically, Poland, we obviously want one that's not based on this sort of German paternalism. But maybe it's this idea that we have to listen to those who who were correct, and who continue to be.
1: Well, um, first, I don't think that the so circle this old social democratic guard of understanding with Russia and uh, naming the Russia our neighbor. That's like that is the typical word. like Russia is our neighbor. Uh, indeed, Russia is not your neighbor. Your neighbor is Poland, uh, Czechia. Uh, Denmark Austria you name them and then the neighbor of Poland is like Belarus and Ukraine and the neighbor of Belarus and Ukraine is Russia that is how it works but uh, they still like believe that they have like some sort of border to Russia I don't think like they're old enough to remember it but somewhere in the minds there is a direct border between Germany and, and, and Russia which is ridiculous so I don't think you will change the minds of these guys and girls because like they are. Uh, they are irreparable, but of course, the facts they shape reality and they shape the way we we, we look uh, into the reality. And our perception needs some time to uh, to to get that shift, because we cannot like skip to the new reality the the I die, it changed. But it doesn't take eternity. So when when Poland and when other countries of uh, Central and Eastern Europe, when they gain on power, and they uh, objectively gain on power, like economically, militarily, uh, demographically, we, and also like in regional cooperation, like think about all these ideas of intermarium, or like Union and Visegrad group, and other regional cooperation uh, patterns. So after all, Germany will face the new reality that uh, it doesn't work as it used to work like 20 years ago when Poland was not that economically developed and like um, self-confident and actually like we 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 see the first signs of that change we see for example the new tweets of the German defense minister the stories who writes about like the fruitful phone calls between the German and the Polish defense ministers etc and even even before the war if you remember like uh, the first visits of uh, the um, German of the German uh, foreign minister Baerbock, they were to Brussels Paris and Warsaw so uh, of course like there are small steps and a lot of things need to be done but if you already have uh, your neighbor Poland uh, which is already strong and uh, self-confident and acts and leads then you need either to to accept this reality and uh, fit into fit your politics into this new reality or you fail so i think it will be like an objective reality which will reshape the german policy but what is interesting for me like, is what will happen to Ukraine, because it is clear that Ukraine will win this war. And um, it, is like, it is the fact Russia has no way to, to win this war. Like, even if Russia will try to push it into a stalemate, they will not, they will not make it. I don't believe there is a way uh, for them to make it. So Ukraine goes out of this war as a winner. Now think about it. Ukraine is the nation which, like five years ago, many said it's a failed nation. They have no chance in peace. Then they have been attacked by uh, the largest military power in Europe, with the nuclear arsenal, a permanent uh, member of the UN Security Council, like the country which many in Europe believed is invincible. It can never be defeated, can never be reflected. Like in Germany, many said, okay, one week and Ukraine will be conquered completely. And now Ukraine wins this war. Ukraine does what no country, before has ever done like um, even napoleon couldn't do that uh same time ukraine will be country in ruins it is a totally destroyed infrastructure with some cities completely eliminated and with a very dark economic perspectives like with Uh 15% of the population, maybe 20% of the population lost because they're refugees of the war, or they have been deported to Russia, or they have been killed. With a lot of people who are wounded without their limbs, and with tens of millions of people with severe mental trauma, like the mental trauma which is only comparable to the one which people had who have witnessed the World War II. And from this perspective, despite of all the support Ukraine has got during the war from from their neighbors, Poland, Czechia, the UK, uh, even Germany, like I cannot deny it, like Germany has supported a lot. It will be the feeling that I'm so strong and I have done what nobody could do before me, and nobody believed I can do. And this Goliath. Laying that, why am I so tired, and why am I bleeding, and why I cannot move? It will be this discrepancy between the destruction, the euphoria, and the depression, and it is actually a very dangerous mixture, because it will it will give all the populists and all the destructive forces a lot of a lot of food, a lot of soil for growth. And the parties which have been uh, pro-Russian before this war, they will not disappear. They will just rebrand themselves into isolationistic, like into like, we built an iron curtain around our world and will never let anyone in because everyone has betrayed us, et cetera. And they will play with all the traumas and with all the fears. And in this very moment, the EU, Europe must take Ukraine and integrate as fast as possible because it is in the European interest it is in the interest of the direct neighbors of Ukraine but also in the interest of the other EU nations because um like we need we need this country to be repaired as soon as possible integrated as soon as possible we need uh, to give the people who have uh, run out of Ukraine who, who who left Ukraine to return home to their houses, and to create out of Ukraine to create a strong member of our society. It is also an interest of Poland directly, because uh, Poland needs Ukrainian voice in the EU because of the uh, similar experiences uh, from the World War, uh, from the World War II, from the 20th century, from the Soviet occupation, etc. Poland needs Ukrainians as their their natural allies. Not in everything. Ukraine will not support all the ideas of Poland. And of course, there will be some sort of rivality, economic rivality, political rivality. The old wounds will, of course, emerge. And of course, the discussions will come once again to the, to, the, uh, to the surface like Bandera and Berlin and everything, all the historical wounds, all the bleeding wounds will reopen. But they will reopen on quite another level, and both nations will have the experience of cooperation up to that time, and both nations will have a very vivid experience of being brothers and sisters in war, which they have experienced of something from almost 100 years ago, I tell you, the vivid experiences will prevail. And in this moment, if Ukraine joins the EU and gets integrated with all the legal bonds, with all the political distribution of powers, it is important because this war also led in Ukraine to simplification of the political structures. And that is good for the wartime, but dangerous for the peacetime. And Ukraine will need a massive rapid complete uh, creation of complex uh, uh, complex uh, complex political system with all the balances and checks and with slow processes no fast decisions slow decisions uh and that is also only possible within within the eu
3: sergey i'd like to thank you so much for for being here and taking time today
1: thank you so much it was a pleasure to talk to you thank you <music>